This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia and welcome to episode 175 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Kanawa. How you doing, pal? I'm good, man. I'm good. I uh, I feel like it's one of those weeks where I'm bringing a certain energy to the pod and I'm wondering what your energy is going to be. I'm excited to see if we're going to clash, if we're going to be in sync or what. Well, is it a Walking Dead episode? <laughs> No, it's not. It's, it's not. not. Okay. It's not. Okay. But you know, we have got. What have we got this week? We've got. We've got three joint watches, which is always exciting. Um, so I'm keen to hear what you've got to say about a few things. How's your week been, Dan? It has been. Oh, it's been very good. It feels like just days since we did the last podcast, but um, here we are again. And I, yeah, I've got a lot to talk about as well. So I reckon we just jump straight into it, Paul. What have you been watching this week? Well done. I've got a new TV series for you, 2023 series. Always love that. It's a full season one watch. And before I even give you the title, just check out this cast. Edward Norton, Kit Harrington, Meryl Streep, Toby Maguire, Forrest Whitaker, Sienna Miller, Diane Lane, David Schwimmer, Indira Vama, Carrie Russell. I, I will stop there. There's actually still more, but it is for me the single most extraordinary cast for a TV show that I can think of, to be honest. And this is season one of Extrapolations. So... I haven't, haven't heard of it. I haven't heard New of it? New to me. All right, so this, this is a show uh, about um, unanticipated stories of how the upcoming changes to our planet will affect life on Earth the, on a personal and a human scale. And... I'll tell you what, Dan, it has taken me seven, yeah, seven TV series for this to happen, but I finally watched a TV series on Apple TV Plus that I can honestly say is just not that good. And <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> after all, all that build-up, it's such a shame as well because the premise for this really pulled me in. Like, um, it's, it's So this is eight episodes pretty much hour-long parts as well and it starts in the year 2037 i will be spoiler light because this is a you know this is a 2023 series i'll be spoiler light but criticism heavy um but it's one of those shows that for each episode it moves forward in time a few so you know when you and i reviewed uh, years and years mm. you know that kind of thing I, lo I love that sort of thing i always think that's quite good if it's generational and also anything about the environment i think um is actually is such a draw card of a of a topic for a series to me, and so I see what they've done with this is largely a wasted opportunity, which is a real shame because yeah, there was there's so much here. I mean, I've just mentioned the cast. I mean, the cast themselves do a great job, as you would expect with with, with people of that quality. They're, they're top draw. I mean, the salary bill must have cost a fortune for this. And the other thing is they haven't scrimped on anything else. It looks superb so you've got your classic sort of you know when you watch something apple tv plus that it is always top quality you know it looks as good as shows like um like severance or or silo or for all mankind but it's all looks and special effects but the story 
I know I always talk about the story, but honestly, Dan, and I'm not alone here either. There are some poor ratings. There are some poor reviews out there. In fact, it doesn't look like that many people have even watched it. I feel like this is sort of flown a little bit under the under the radar. Yeah, it's um, it's funny, isn't it? Because it kind of has the perfect ingredients, doesn't it? Like short number of episodes, stellar cast, interesting concept. Shay at Apple TV, which generally, like you know, I know there has been a couple of duds on there, but in general, we've largely talked pretty favourably of their content. So it's a shame that this one hasn't landed. Um, it, it's but in saying that, like it's. You know, you text me about this the other day, and you're like, oh, "Is this on your on your radar?" And and I had to look it up. I I heard nothing mm. about it. Yeah, it's it's. I remember seeing a whole bunch of shows, that, and Silo was one of them, Foundation, and other. And when I watched sort of like the mini trailers for each them, this was the one that drew me in. And so, um, you and I will, uh, you know, we'll do a joint review of Silo in the future. But it, what's funny is when I did my sort of pick of the bunch. I was like, oh yeah, extrapolations, that's the one I want to go to straight away. And it was it was that premise because I do love the idea of what will the decisions of today's society around capitalism and, and greed and profit and convenience mean for 10 years, for 20 years, and so on and so on. You know, all and they sort of they track it back to things like, you know, when we we were all burning coal, you know, in the Western world for for heat to see off winter and and this, this there is some good story in here, and overall, um, you know that there there is a good narrative. But they just they go in some weird directions, and I guess the clue is somewhat in part of the plot that they talk about. It's they they don't just talk about the, the changes to our planet; they also talk about how it will affect love and faith and work and family. And so, I guess those stories for me were less. Uh, appealing, less relevant. They didn't seem to have quite the same. I don't know. There wasn't like a, you know, we've all seen what's happening in the in the in the dating world in the last decade compared to back in the day in the eighties and nineties when there was no online dating or apps or whatever. And it's kind of the the sort of the the you know the extrapolation of, of that. Hence the title. It's um, it's it's really interesting. It's poorly executed. Um, I will I return for a second season is the question I'm asking myself and I want to give this show a chance and the the subject matter interests me but will I I don't know it will depend what else is going on because you know we're busy people did you have a, a favorite kind of character arc thinking about some of these these big characters like um Kit Harrington or Edward Norton like did you have a favorite oh, even though it might might not have been a good show yeah I think um Funnily enough, I actually really enjoyed the the the, the Kit Harrington storyline, and I don't want to sort of say why because if you are going to watch it, then the inference would spoil it. But his character's journey um, was particularly interesting. Of of them all, I would say um, the relationship with Edward Norton as well. I think those two in particular probably had some standout stories and, and sort of those, those one would, those stories were tied to the planet and the effect, you know, the, the raising of the temperature, the government, there's a lot of politics in there. If it's not your, if, if that's not your, your bag in terms of, you know, the environmental change and all the rest of it, then definitely stay away from this one, which is 
it's just such a crazy thing to say about a show that looks this good and has such a great cast, but it's, uh, it's, it's what I think. And that's my final word. There you have it, folks. It looks like a one to avoid from Mr. Canara and an unusual, um, review, but, uh, there we have it. Yeah. So, um, so that that is me for this week. As I said, this was a okay, good, okay. solid eight hours. Um, and other than our three movies that we're going to walk through this week, Dan, that's all I've got. What about you? What have you got this week? All right. I've got a, a couple of movies for you, actually. So um, sort of a, a bit of a novelty for us at the moment. We're living relatively close to a movie theatre. So we popped back down over the weekend, checked out another movie. This was a bit of a... Um, not really on the radar at all, but um, we thought, you know what, let's give it a go. Um, and so we went to see the 2023 movie, No Hard Feelings. And so this is a movie starring Jennifer Lawrence. And it's we kind of went into it knowing this is a, a real popcorn movie. Uh, we didn't have high expectations, but the basic sort of premise here is uh, on the brink of uh, losing her home, uh, Maddie, who's played by... Jennifer Lawrence finds an intriguing jobless thing uh, where some helicopter parents are basically looking for um, someone to bring their introverted 19-year-old son out of his shell before he heads off to college. Um, she has one summer to make him a man or die trying. So you can kind of imagine, like this already has got kind of uh, slapstick American comedy written all over it. <laughs> it. It kind of had a little bit of a what would I say, like kind of a, a low, I want to say like a super bad, but it's it's unfair to put super bad in this in the same category. Okay. It's, it's that type of movie though, you know, where you're kind of dealing with kind of, you know, teenagers and sort of, what what do we call like a 30-year-old that's not middle-aged these days? Like, um, <laughs> what, what, what do we call that? Like sort of, you know, adults, but I don't know. Are you an adult? Are we in it? Oh, who knows? Anyway, anyway. middle aged middle aged is uh, is possibly harsh for anyone in their thirties, but I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Look, is it? Let's. Look. Yeah, it, it, it feels wrong. Anyway, so so the premise here is so so this is young kid, um, and he he has to naturally kind of fall in love with Jennifer Lawrence's character. Now, the big problem with this show, Paul. It's just like it kind of feels gross. Like I think in in twenty twenty three, having like you know Jennifer Lawrence, she plays a character in her kind of early early thirties, kind of seducing this nineteen year old. Like if if, that, if those roles were reversed, mm. this would be a horrible <laughs> film. And yeah. I couldn't help but kind of feel a bit gross throughout it. I think you know the this is a movie. Thank God we didn't see the trailer beforehand because I feel like they probably would have revealed all the laughs in the trailer. So there was there was one or two moments that, you know, gave a bit of a chuckle, but sort of as, as far as a, sort of a concept of a movie, like I think it was one of those movies, and I understand this was sort of a, a collaboration between uh, the director and Jennifer Lawrence, I think over COVID, and they kind of cooked up this kind of idea, thought they had a great movie, thought it was hilarious. Right. In general, most of the jokes didn't land in the theatre. And, like the, you know, the theatre was kind of – it was a small theatre, but there might have been, you know, 25, 30 people in the theatre. Most of the time it was kind of like crickets chirping. And it's it's kind of a shame because 
like they kind of maybe had something, but it, I think it really just struggled with that line between almost kind of borderline serious, serious, and then it's like, oh, actually, no, we're slapstick comedy, and then it didn't ever find its kind of happy medium. It is a movie that, like, I think if I'd watched on streaming, I probably would have been like, ah, that was kind of a, a, a fun waste of an afternoon. I think to pay money to go see it, definitely not, not recommended. Um, mm. It's, but and as I say, I knew this going into it. We knew it wasn't going to be great. We we kind of were looking for something a bit kind of popcorny, and I guess in that regard, it kind of ticked those boxes. It was kind of fun. Uh, this movie had Matthew Broderick in it as mm. he plays the father of um, of a young 19-year-old. And it, it was kind of fun to see him in a bit of a, a – I feel like I haven't seen Matthew Broderick in a movie for years and kind of to play this helicopter parent. And, you know, the whole thing of this movie is basically – the whole premise really is – so the only reason she goes for this advert to go and, you know, seduce this kid is because she needs a new car because her car's been towed and she needs to make money being an Uber driver. Like, it's a real kind of, like, you know, modern-day problem but kind of dumb at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is this was unfortunately a bit of a miss. Um, I, I would probably, as I say, I would check it out on streaming. I definitely wouldn't rush to the movie theatre to go and see this one. Good advice. I was just struggling to think of a Jennifer Lawrence movie uh, that was comedy because I and that's quite an appeal because I've seen her in you know chat shows and interviews and she always seems quite funny and and jovial. But a lot of her movies, you know, the X Men movies, the Hunger Game movies, there's a lot of um, serious drama or action or whatever. And and so the idea of sort of seeing her in a in a comedy, I think, is is quite appealing. I'd, I'd like that. I think. Um, Matthew Broderick, I mean, like he went from, you know, Ferris Bueller to Cable Guy and I feel like I just haven't seen him since and I don't I don't know how he can be anyone's dad because he just feels like he should always be about twenty two years old. But um there's a there's a there's a decent looking cast in here. Um I see you've also got our old mate, um, Ebon Moss Bakarak from um The Bear. Um, indeed yep he's he's always good value and um so yeah it's a it's an interesting one i like the idea that they cooked it up over covid and something came of it i see the the director is the dude who did um he was a producer for the office um like he worked on it for for years so um he's obviously got an eye for the comedy but yeah i probably will check this out when it comes to whatever streaming platform uh, because it does look like a good sort of popcorn fun movie but yeah i i i would take your advice and not rush off to the cinema yeah i actually think i i saw jennifer lawrence talking about this on have you watched that tv show on youtube called um hot ones where they basically interview people eating chicken wings and the sauce gets hotter and hotter yes. and yeah yeah so she, this, so this she has was been recommended of, to me by several people now <laughs> which is a fantastic youtube series um and she was talking about this on there, and actually, I stopped watching the um, the clip because I was like, "Oh, maybe I'll check that out at some point." And then when I saw it at the theater, I thought, "Oh, let, let's go." And I, and I, I am with you. Like, I am kind of intrigued in about Jennifer Lawrence in a sort of comedy setting. I think, yeah, it just didn't. I think with a movie like this, you've either got to lean into it really, really hard, or you've got to really probably kind of workshop your your material a little more. So, but yeah, look, I think as I say. Check it out on streaming. It, it'll be a bit of fun. There's definitely there's there's one particular scene which is laugh out loud hilarious. But like a lot of these sort of genre of movies, they often have one or two of those. 
Um, and this is this is no different. Mm. Oh well, I, I will bring it to the table one day, Dan, and we'll compare notes then. Indeed, indeed. The other movie that I've watched is on my Mission Impossible um, rewatch. I've watched Mission Impossible Two, so this is came out nice. in two thousand. This is the the John Woo Mission Impossible. Um, so this one, as you may remember, Paul, from your recent rewatch. Ethan Hunt sent to Sydney to find and destroy a genetically modified disease called the Chimera. So this, this again, I, my memory of this movie, very, very faint. But this, this is a hot mess for this movie. Like, yep. how, how do you get John Woo, a star-studded cast? You've got Anthony Hopkins in here. You've got Thandaway Newton. You've got Tom Cruise. It's... It's honestly, it's just all over the place, and it feels like it's, yeah, it's the action isn't that great, the storyline is terrible, mm-hmm. the cast kind of gets like once again kind of like floated down the river. Obviously, it's kind of important to the uh, Mission Impossible kind of timeline, but you know, like again, I'm probably being as no, a you're, you're being completely fair, Dan. You, you, if anything, I'm going to come in even more critical. Okay. Okay. So uh, there's there's like I I you know the the scene at the you know at the start of the movie where where oh, yeah. Ethan and Tom Cruise climbing up climbing up the cliff. Great scene. Um, there was a a couple of like wacky like motorcycle chase scenes. There was the classic John Woo uh, pigeon scenes, uh, the doves, or and <laughs> I I don't know like it just again it was okay and I'm kind of just giving it a pass because I know that. I know that um, M2 does get a bit of a, a hard rating when you know when you start to put these movies in order, but yeah, it's just it feels like just such a shame. Like you know how I talked about Mission Impossible One, almost kind of right for a remake. This is also right for like you know a complete kind of reset. I don't know where this latest movie is going to go, but it's both kind of like reminded me: did I actually need to rewatch these? And at the same time, I'm still having a good time rewatching them. So. A bit of a weird one for me, but the first one is definitely ranked number one for me, and this is ranked number two. Yeah, oh, you're you're hundred percent on, and I'll be I'll be surprised if you bring an Mission Impossible review to this podcast where anything goes below two, because for me, it's uh, I'm just not I'm just not a fan of the style that John Woo brings to this movie. I think he has a very distinct style, and it works sometimes. You know, Face Off is a great example where it was good. But there's there's only so many slow mos you can have, particularly when motorcycles are just like jumping at each other, and there's you know they're wearing their shades and they're all black, and it's 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 too much for me. I remember when I talked about this when I brought it to the pod, I remember going really hard uh, about Dugray Scott as as the villain Sean Ambrose, and I've subsequently seen him and other things, and he's been fantastic, which is great to see because I do believe he was. He was given poor lines. I I just don't think it was, you know, Anthony Hopkins has that one great line where he tells Ethan, you know, this is not mission difficult. This is mission impossible. You know, it's um, difficult should be a walk in the park. It, it's a, there are some classic moments. The, the, you know, Tom Cruise is one of the greatest action actors of all time and even his performance through the movie isn't enough to just 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 to really save it for me and when i look at all of the mission possible movies which i'm a huge huge fan of and i've watched many times 
this one, <laughs> I always watch it and it's like, ah, oh, you know, I've got to go through this one before I can get to number three, which I love. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange to me because the writer is Ronald D. Moore, who I really, really rate. He, he's the creator of the Battlestar Galactica reimagined series. He's, He's the creator of For All Mankind. Both of those two TV series are in my all-time top 10 TV series ever. So when I'm pointing the finger at this movie, I just don't know why all these things just don't work together. It's, yeah, I don't know. And I feel particularly bad for the way Newton. Like, I feel like she's such an amazing actress. I feel like she really gets done dirty in this film. Um, like really underused as a as a character as an actress. Um, Agreed. I think you're right. Like, um, Sean Ambrose, like his character Dougie Ray Scott. Like again, like just nothing. I think the, almost the greatest thing about this whole movie is Tom Cruise's hair. Like I love the <laughs> evolution of his kind of like '90s hair into this like 2000s like kind of like long. I'm a bad I'm a bad boy haircut. Like. Uh, it's know. interesting though, Dan, because the hair goes back and forth. So in three, he goes back to short, and then I think somewhere along the line, he goes back to long, and it, it goes back and forth all the time. It's it's incredible. But uh, I, I do believe, and I'm, I shouldn't be quoted ever, but definitely don't quote me on this. I do believe Thunderway Newton has actually, at some point, talked about this movie very, very disparagingly and and, and negatively as well, which doesn't, you know, which is never great to hear. I also feel like the way it kind of ended is like you can't have just Tom Cruise falling in love in every Mission Impossible. Do you know what I mean? Like it kind That's of right. just is like it just ends weirdly as well. Like obvious, like obviously we set up like we know that there's more movies, but it's just I don't know that this this felt out of character, and I it was kind of a good reminder. And because I think the other thing, Paul, is I feel like I've got this real vivid memory of a certain event happening in Mission Impossible, and I thought it would have happened in either the first or second movie, and and now I'm beginning to question my own sanity whether it actually happened. So <laughs> Mission Impossible 3, maybe that's where these events will take place. I'm, I'm just not sure. Okay, okay. Well, you're on the up from here. This is one of those movie series for me which progressively, generally, actually get stronger which is a rare thing rare thing mm-hmm. yeah so look i'll i'll be back with more um i'm looking forward to getting into mission impossible 3 um but yeah this is uh this is borderline skippable i would imagine mm. it's it's dated as well and thinking about it you know we're getting older these movies are get, these movies are getting older this is 23 years old now this movie it's extraordinary isn't it and it kind of feels it too like there's yeah I think there's something we you know we've talked about this before with um, movies like Golden Eye, right? Where there's a certain moment in time where we obviously start using technology, but we're not really good at it. And whereas, like you know, movies like but you know, you go back to a movie like Top Gun, where there's lots of live action and lots of you know real time kind of filming. But this this sort of green screen era never a good time. Correct. Correct. So, yeah, so that is, I remember from last week, I had to buy all of these movies. So this will be forever on my iTunes account <laughs> as a as a permanent stain of a movie I probably won't ever watch again. But nevertheless, I have it, should the world end in some type of natural disaster. Um, <laughs> so, Paul, we've got a, a joint review coming up. So you and I have watched uh, Extraction 1 and 2. Yes, indeed. So we've still got our movie of the week to come, but we've now got 
two other movies, which, um, so I was late to the bandwagon with this one because you'd already watched Extraction a wee while ago and then Extraction 2 was out and I was like, I should be getting on board this train and you were like, you should definitely be on board. And so I went away and watched both of them. Now, did you did you catch up with the first again or did you jump straight to two? We just jumped straight into two. Okay. Um, I think because, I, yeah, okay. I'll let you talk about one because it's obviously, you know, this came out in 2020, so it's, it's a few years old, um, and that'll probably jog my memory of what happened, and then we can talk about two. Yeah, no, that's all good, and I think you'll still be able to help me out with the first one. So the first one, 2020, we're following Tyler Rake, um, a.k.a. Chris Hemsworth, so now I've got everyone's attention. A what a fi- name. What a name for <laughs> Tyler Rake. <laughs> so badass it's it's yeah well, well actually i i'm gonna make a point about names i was thinking about this earlier um jog me if i don't um so tyler is a, a fearless black market mercenary and he embarks on the most deadly extraction of his career when he's enlisted to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord now that's synopsis in itself i feel like if you were to run a design workshop and have like a whiteboarding session with people wanting to call call out cool names of things that are going to make an awesome movie, you know, fearless, black market, mercenary, deadly, extraction, enlisted, kidnapped, imprisoned, international, crime lord. I mean, all of the words are just chucked in into one sentence. And yet that sentence somehow works. The metadata for this podcast is writing itself. It's amazing. It really is. Um, so this, uh, so yeah, so this is the, the the first of two. Chris Hemsworth as Tyler Rake in a movie directed by Sam Hargrave, and um, I sort of call out Sam Hargrave as the director early on because for me, the highlight across both of these movies, but certainly with the first one, is the action, the direction, the it's it's full on. It's brutal. It's superb choreography. There's there's just so much in there. And I I've sort of looked him up, and he's he used to you know he was heavily involved and still is in the stunt department. You know, like all of his back catalogue is about stunts. And now he started directing a few movies. And and so for me as a director, he's got the action genre. He's absolutely cooking on this. He, he he's got stuff. He's got insights that you just can't. You just can't learn without the experience that he's gone through. He's got a real eye for it. And I just thought his direction was absolutely top draw. And so for me, this first movie is actually just, a, it's it's just a, an energy fueled, um, like you almost, you, you're there for the story, of course you are, but you, the action itself is just doing enough to actually really sort of keep you hooked in because it's, it's, it's pretty much nonstop. And therein lies a, a bit of a criticism, perhaps, Dan, and I don't know what your thoughts are looking back on that first one, but maybe maybe there was too much action in the first one and not quite enough story. Yeah, it's funny because the initial draw card for me in watching this movie was actually, and I, I remember Netflix at the time promoting this quite heavily, of obviously being written by Joe Russo, Joe and mm. Anthony Russo, who wrote the Avengers Endgame. And so this was kind of fresh on the market of that. It, You know, it kind of, I think it obviously builds on that kind of John Wick style yep. of film. Right. Um, I remember the first movie, bearing in mind it's been a few years, as enjoyable great action scenes but largely kind of forgettable and I think it's 
it wasn't until the second movie, which I don't want to get into yet, that it kind of like re-sparked a bit of an interest for me. But I, I remember ha- having a good time, but I literally could almost tell you nothing about the, the actual premise of the movie, apart from it's Chris Hemsworth. He's in, uh, is he in Bangladesh? Or I forget where he is in that, in that first movie, but it's, the body count is extreme. As you say, the oh, yeah. action scenes are extreme. And I think it's this, it's the same, um, ingredients of John Wick. Like you you've got to have and like you've you've already called it out a director that understands action and how to shoot stunts. And and this these films are largely about that. And there's kind of just enough of a thread of a story that kind of keeps it interesting um and, and kind of keeps you coming back for more. But yeah, like I, I remember having a lot of fun but kind of forgettable at the same time. Yeah, no exactly right. And and it was Bangladesh and some of the scenes uh, there were um, particularly brutal and it offered a very very harsh and very vivid backdrop for this type of movie but the the the, the word memorable is i think where i was going before because i was thinking about ethan hunt and jason bourne and john wick and if you were to ask me about those characters you know in two years five years ten years i could tell you their stories but I don't know if I could so much for the what's the Tyler Rake story, and so so the action for me is kind of it's you know it's akin to the Bourne movies or the Mission Impossible or the fightings up there with the John Wick, but the story isn't at that same standard, and it is quite surprising given that you have got you know the 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 Rousseau brothers just extraordinary you know in terms of if you look at what they've produced in the, in and the box office you know there's there's no coincidence there of the success they've had they're obviously very very talented but for this first movie at least i just i just didn't think there was enough there story wise to make it anything more than that popcorn enjoyment mm. of of accent and of course you know let's not take away from again going back to chris Hemsworth, for his 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 performance I thought was 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 superb. I think he's got these great one-liners. I love having him being able to go full Aussie. I just thought there was a lot there. I think that's kind of the fun of it, right? Like it's it's the fact that obviously there's the connection between the Russo brothers and um, Chris Hemsworth as as Thor and that kind of connect. And, and you're right, like just the fact that he gets to lean into his Australian accent is kind of fun, borderline off-putting, but still fun <laughs> at the same time. And and I don't know, I, I, I kind of feel like I want to jump into the second movie because I feel like that's where yeah. I've kind of got the most views. That's good. Um, yeah, so I think the second movie, like when it came out, I was like, oh, they've, they've done another one. I thought they could, you know, like, obviously we knew because we've, we've talked about it on the news desk, but they could have equally just left it as a sort of a one-shot movie, but that mm. that's not the way in this day and age. I, my enjoyment level of Extraction 2 way it sees Extraction 1 like I found it, the second movie I found the story more richer mm. I found the action kind of yep. um, more intense and over the top and ridiculous but I just found it as a as a complete package a really fun watch I feel like they really worked a bit harder on the story trying to sort of make it a bit more meaningful I feel like you know we referenced John Wick before it feels like it almost kind of like leverages a bit of that kind of John Wick um, single take action scenes that are like super choreographed, super action. It, it built on the first story without kind of overlaboring it. You can tell they've kind of set up and built a universe. I enjoyed the the sort of secondary or supporting cast that kind of uh, worked alongside Chris Hemsworth. It, it was a 
this this was a pretty good experience. I I found myself having a great time. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, they do make you care more. They do put more effort into the story. They allow they allow a bit of a, a scene set um, before they dive straight into the to the main event. And I felt that that really helped. And you know, it's not to say because you think about that first movie, of course, about you know the the the, the kidnapping of a child, then. You know, obviously, as an audience member, of course, you want this child to be saved, and and there's enough there. But they just needed to work a little bit harder, I think, just to 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 some make you feel invested. And that's that's another key word you use. I think they do well with this one. So this one, the the synopsis they describe as as after barely surviving his his grievous wounds from his mission in Bangladesh, Tyler Rake is back, and his team is ready to take on their next mission. And of course, you know, as you sort of you know, I guess we are talking spoilers here, but this was three years ago. That you know, you, you could easily have thought, did he survive that first movie? And even if he does, is he ever going to be able to do anything again? I feel like, I feel like I could, I could, uh, I could fall down a, the stairs and never, never walk again. And, and yet, Hemsworth is having all kinds of things done, and yet he's back to full action within a couple of weeks. I mean, it's it's extraordinary. But uh, putting that aside the story just works better. I had a much better time. I was a lot more invested. I enjoyed the entire watch. Um, and yes, some of those secondary characters, I thought the, the back and forth that he had with, um, Idris Elba's character was also really good. If anything, my biggest criticism of this movie was that we didn't get a little bit more of the Idris Elba because I thought there was a really good dynamic there that could have been played on some more, but very little in the complaints department for me for the second movie. I think that's going to be our extraction three. We're going to get way more Idris Elba. Oh. I think I I almost loved the like almost like the classic eighties kind of throwback to this. Like the fact that like you've got a you know it's it's number two. You've got a an in, uh, injured and kind of broken down main character. You've almost got like the you know the the eighties music pumping over the background as they do a three minute montage of him like powerlifting like tires right. and cylinders yeah. and stuff and then he's like he's just back to full strength and i just like it was predictable but fun and i feel like they I, I kind of just appreciated the fine line between actually this is kind of a suave action thrilling killing machine to actually i'm just going completely over the top and i'm carrying a minigun to shoot helicopters from trains and these explosions look borderline real and this if Tom Cruise was here, these stunts could be happening in real time. Like it was just it was, I don't know, it was just as a package, it all kind of worked. And I think if this is kind of the quality of extraction, I'm a hundred percent there for extraction three. Yeah. Oh, I, I am too. And look, it's no secret that I we've talked about it before that I've not been across the the Marvel movies as much as most of the world, I would say. So for me, when I think of Chris Hemsworth, I actually think of him as Kirk in in, in Star Trek in that 2009 J.J. Abrams movie. And so I would go so far as to say that this is my favorite performance since since that movie. Um, and we've come a long way from Spiderhead, which we reviewed about six months ago, you know, it's um, or maybe even longer than that. And looking forward at his cast, um, sort of his, what he's got coming up alongside the third extraction, you know, Furiosa, we've got the Mad Max, he's prime in Transformers, he's got another Avengers thing, he's got the untitled Hulk Hogan biopic. There's a lot of Chris Hemsworth coming our way, but yeah, Extraction 3 is a real uh, draw card for me. And if, if, as you say, 
we're going to have more of a story that interacts with the Idris Elba character because I just thought that that dynamic was so good. Um, I, I just feel like there's a there's something here that if they if they get it right, they could they could really this could this series could become a definitive genre just in the way that John Wick has started to do that. And I would almost like, and I know that this is probably sacrilege to say this. It's almost a little bit more interesting than John Wick because I think if they continue kind of building on the story like they have, it just gives it a little bit more depth. But you still get that That's John right. Wick quality of action. So I think it, I think it is in that genre of, um, I, I don't know what it, it's. It's kind of like the the choreographed fight scenes, but it's 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 so good. I'm again, I'm just looking at the poster ball. Great haircut, you know. I yeah. love a good haircut that can withstand battle. That's amazing. It certainly can withstand battle, and um, it's very similar to your haircut, Dan. I mean, let's let's not be honest. I mean, there's a lot of similarities we could draw here, but we'll draw the line. So at this. It, it, it probably stops at the top of the hairline. <laughs> that, that's where the that's where it stops. We'll draw the line. I um, where was I going with that before I um went off track? I can't even remember what I was going to say. You just distracted me so much, but it was going to be good. I'm sure it was going to be good. Whatever I was going to say. So, um, yeah, this is, so both of these movies are available on Netflix. I think, you know, I would almost put this, you know, in our movie category of like, maybe a movie you might watch with your dad. I don't necessarily think full parents, but like, I feel like this is a, I feel like dads might enjoy this movie and maybe the mums, I I don't want to be sexist about it, but like, it does feel like it's, it's got a great kind of like, you're looking for something fun to watch. There's probably a high chance they haven't seen it. Looking yep. for some good action. This could be it. Like it, like it's violent, but it's it's kind of that like cringe, but keep watching violence. And it's um, I don't know. It's a good time. It is. I've, I've also remembered what I was going to say, and it was that you were correct about the John Wick. That I think there's more there in terms of depth of character and story. And of course, whereas John Wick, we all know about the dog. And John Wick with Extraction, the dog is is also central to the main character in terms of his relationship. And it's like anyone touches that dog, and I feel like we're in trouble for F- Extraction mm. Three. Mm, indeed, I agree. Couldn't agree more. I'm uh, yeah, I'm hyped. This is I'm glad that you've you've watched them both, Paul. That we can move forward together for E3. Indeed. Shall we uh, jump into our movie of the week? Yes, so after five weeks of Indiana Jones movies, we're back into our regular format whereby Dan and I take it in turns, choose a movie each week, and then watch it a week later on this podcast to review it. We do announce what movie we're going to watch a week in advance, so you can watch along with us if you fancy. You can do that by clicking on the the link in the show notes to join our Discord community, which is where we announce that to our band of Band of merry men and women in that forum. This week, Dan, we're going to go back to uh, a universe that we have explored before, but in a slightly different way. This is The Nun. Indeed. So this is a 2018 horror mystery, uh, basically about a, a priest uh, with a haunted past and a novice on the threshold of her final vows are sent by the Vatican to investigate the death of a young nun in Romania and confront a malevolent force in the form of a demonic nun. So this movie, Paul, has been like, always kind of like on my radar, but never a movie that I've kind of ever thought oh, I should sit down like I, I kind of I feel like I know about the nun character but I 
I I I guess I didn't really make strong connections to the Conjuring universe or the the Conjuring universe, as you like to say. <laughs> I knew you um, would forget that. <laughs> this came back to me. Um, what did you think of this one? It's interesting because I I saw because I obviously came to this this Conjuring universe later and now sort of catching up. And what it, what happened was I saw the poster release for the Nun two, and I suddenly realised, oh, Dan and I haven't we haven't actually watched the Nun, and so. You know, I thought, is it available? Because I think, you know, Diane and I checked a while ago for the other movies, like the Annabelle movie, and they just went anywhere. But now, this one has popped up on on Netflix. So I was, yeah, I was quite excited to sort of. That's why I put it forward as a, as a choice, and I was quite happy you went with this. And look, overall, this movie, goodness me, Dan everything that we've talked about apart from Extraction 2 this week actually hasn't got the greatest sort of vibe going on in terms of my overall rating. This movie doesn't really rock the world, but I still enjoyed it. You know, I like it. Maybe it wasn't as solid for me as the, the conjuring main format of, of the first three, you know, conjuring one, two, and the, what was the third one? The devil made me do it. Um, I felt that, it was perhaps because it goes back in time so much and it's set not in a modern day, obviously not in a modern day setting. It's, it's, it, it became too paranormal and perhaps beyond my ability to accept, oh yeah, maybe this happened compared to the original, the original movies. And, and I, I guess I prefer that usual format um, of, of them going in and, you know, you know, Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, their, their characters going in in that investigative side. But that all having been said, I still enjoyed this movie because it was part of the universe, which you know that horror is not my thing. But this is this is horror. Is this particular genre, this particular franchise, really draws me in? Yeah, I think you you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. Like this. Like I'm equally not a big horror fan, but I I'm often intrigued by horror, and particularly the horror which kind of runs that kind of fine line. You know, like the wider conjuring, where it doesn't like there's not necessarily a a big reveal. It's just kind of like it's it's wonderfully shot, well directed, well kind of written. There's kind of some jump scares. You know, it's kind of you know it it kind of makes you kind of like question beliefs whereas I, I feel like this is like and I, I feel like I'm making lots of 80s references today but th- this almost feels like an uh, like an old school horror to me because it is kind of like it's kind of it's demonic it's kind of there's these monsters there's all sorts of um special effects like I, I think the actual actress who plays the who plays the nun like uh, that is a, oh. a terrifying character w- without a doubt um uh Bonnie Aarons it's uh, incredible i i'm kind of with you though like i i didn't i didn't hate it i didn't love it i had an okay time i didn't like i like i feel like i'm kind of intrigued by this universe but let me just tell you paul if i was ever working in the romanian countryside and a priest (laughs) and a nun come to my house i'm not going with them there's no there's no way absolutely no way like there's no way i'm coming to help hunt like a demonic nun no way <laughs> there's so many layers there to unpeel uh, and i just um 
I still can't. I mean, just the idea of you in the Romanian countryside in itself is is something. But uh, look, I I'm the same as you. Like I say, you know, maybe it wasn't that great. I'm still I still enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it. I'd recommend it to anyone who's sort of part of this Conjuring universe. I would definitely say go to. You're so right um, about Bonnie Aaron's as the nun. I mean she's just extraordinarily scary as a nun it's such a great look in fact in many respects it's the look of the nun if you think about her appearance in mm. the conjuring movie it's 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 iconic it's it's right up there with some of the most terrifying sort of scary movie characters if, if you like i really thought um that she's a real she is a real draw card and i will be there for the nun too without a shadow of a doubt the other actor i thought who was uh, really good was um Damien Bichot who plays um Father Burke. I thought he was really good. I've only ever seen him in the Hateful Eight and um and the second what was it, Alien Covenant movie. So I thought it was really good to see him in a more leading capacity. Um uh, yeah, I, I I think again for um Kaisea Famiga, um yes. like, I think again is a is a great kind of like co star. And I did enjoy how, you know, they kind of bookended this movie with the uh, uh, with the Warrens basically yes. kind of like doing a talk and kind of like like telling the story and I think you know like some of that stuff was quite cool. I think I've just got I feel like I've just got so many questions, Paul, about like again just going back to like if I was in the countryside and you know someone I'd start to go with these people. If you got me to go into that into that convent and then like some spooky old nun who won't even turn around and talk to us. Oh yeah. Like says you can stay the night jog on mate there's no way there's no way that's <laughs> happening and then like you know just things like oh it's, it's getting dark you better be heading off soon uh hold on we're i'm sleeping in the same room with everyone and i'm not sleeping at all like like just like some of the like it's it's almost just kind of too set up for that kind of like horror like oh yep it's getting dark you, you're, you're heading back like i don't know there's there, there's so many kind of, i guess there's just kind of the the common kind of um rhythms of a of a horror movie but it's i i think this is where it's it's quite different to i think the 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 conjuring sort of core story yeah no you're right i think um oh the yeah i couldn't agree more the whole we've all been in meetings we've all had those workshops where there's a stakeholder who won't open up or is a little bit you know if you're going to have your back to that them the whole time and you can't see your face there's something terrifying about someone who's sort of shows you their back or whatever i i feel like we could also run a side podcast down where it would be environments that dan and paul would not survive in i feel like we've got quite a few now we've got the desert we've got the ocean we've definitely got the romanian countryside there's a few others in there over the, over the last few years that we've uncovered because this is a scary environment and on the subject of um sister irene who you just mentioned played by um tysa famiga she, she's the sister of uh, of, of Vera Farmiga, and I, because she does have a look that's, you know, at certain angles is so similar to her, it's kind of weird because at first I thought, oh, is there going to be some weird link to her being related to Lorraine Warren because they're both Farmigas? But that wasn't the case at all. It was just pure coincidence, it seemed. Crazy, crazy. It's um, it, it, They do look very similar, don't they? I, I thought that several times throughout the movie. Yeah, and I thought she was good in this character. Uh, and I thought the actor whose name escapes me who played that what was his name Frenchy. Um, I, I oh, thought, uh, Jonas. Uh, yes, I thought I thought he was w- was good as well. So I I would say 
you know, the appeal of those Conjuring movies was, well, twofold. One was that they they're good, good, good fun and good jumpy scary movies, and there's nothing more entertaining than sitting on the couch with my wife when she's jumping because I just get so much way of that. But there was very little of that going on comparative to those other three. So it wasn't quite as scary, quite as jumpy. And so that combined with the fact that it wasn't the modern day investigative, as I say, it wasn't as solid. But again, I maintain if you're in this universe and if you like the genre, definitely go check it out on Netflix because I still say it's absolutely worth it. Yeah, look, I I think you're right. And I think if you're someone who's like us and kind of shies away from horrors, like, but as kind of, I I think you could probably do this one. Like it's like, like I got through it. No worries. You guys obviously got through (laughs) it. it. No worries. Um, We we lived to Delta Dale. So how many, uh, how many guns on the Guns of Gimbo scale, Paul? I feel like the way you've said that, I need to be checking in with you when we're watching the video. So did you, did you make it through? Are you okay? Um, I'm going two and a half guns for this, Dan. I think that's. Uh, I think if it wasn't part of the Conjuring universe, I might be looking at a two. But because it is part of that universe, it's a, it's a two point five. It's um, it's not the best rating in the world, but that's my rating. What about you? I think it's a two for me. Um, but I'll tell you, I've been sitting here with the the IMDb page open as we've been talking. Oh yeah, and there is the terrifying kind of like painting of the nun, yeah. and I feel like she's penetrating my skull. So I think it's um. It's definitely time to move on. Um, it's what's your pick of the week? Yeah, so that's an interesting question because some weeks it's hard when I feel like sometimes there's there's a couple of you know two or three sometimes top draw things. This week the competition seemed to be much lower in terms of the bar was lower. So for me it's Extraction Two. I always love it. You know, I know I said when you were talking about the Mission Impossible series that it's rare that a sequel is better, but this was an occasion where it definitely was. And so like you, it's got me really excited for three. So Extraction 2 gets my pick of the week. And yours, Dan? Uh, Yeah, I think I'm going to have to join you. I think Extraction 2 was almost, like I kind of was like, oh, we're going to watch Extraction 2. And I just had such a good time that I can't go past it. Nice. Love that. Shall I take us over to the news desk? All right. Well, I guess the the first thing we need to talk about, Paul, obviously uh, all of Hollywood is on strike, so we can probably largely expect a probably a, a standstill to a, a bunch of kind of interesting news. We're going to have big delays because we've got the writers' strike, now we've got the actors' strike, um, We no new content, a lot of movies aren't being um, promoted. Uh, Oppenheimer, for example, like I know the, they were, they're just in Barbie, they just started their promotion run on that and mm. a lot of that's had to stop. Um, so if you don't know, um, the, the core of this is um, SAG has basically um, called for strike action. And a lot of this is, is kind of around the, you know, we don't know the, the full details of the negotiation, but this is around sort of better pay, stronger contributions to unions and pensions and health funds, uh, more residuals from streaming services uh, to be brought in and basically in line with current day theatrical and broadcast productions uh there this is a whole bunch of talk about greater regulation um for particularly you know actors uh, have to put in sort of self-submitted tapes these days not many people turn up to a studio so that means people are having to sort of provide much more of their own equipment there's uh, some interesting stuff kind of floating around around particularly around um ai and how they want mm. to sort of use background actors and voiceovers and we've already, uh, 
I think it's right to call some of that stuff out, right? Like we've already talked about, like you know, and the you know, ten years from now, twenty years from now, how easy it will be if you had the rights to you imagine the Star Wars universe, you know, creating a whole whole new Han Solo, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker storylines. And I think it's it, it is right that these things are sort of being called out and and looked at very closely. So. A lot going on in that space. I imagine we'll have um, lots of sort of information will start to emerge. I think one of the most interesting things I've seen over the last sort of 48 hours, I guess, is almost kind of a lot of, you know, actors are kind of being interviewed on picket lines. Yes. And there's already quite a bit of sort of like misinformation on um, various kind of uh, websites and sort of media platforms of some of those interviews and I think it's it's going to be interesting I think how this kind of plays out um, but the fact that we've like you know it's it's all over the media it's been what I think since about 1960 was the last time when both the writers and the actors were on strike at the same time. That's right yeah Ronald I think someone said Ronald Reagan was in office the last time it actually happened I think so um, I don't know which of those stories is is correct but there was a video I saw earlier in the week Sean Gunn um, got interviewed on a picket line and he started going after the Disney CEO, Bob Iger, and he does not hold back at all. And that was quite eye-opening. Well, and I think this is the thing, right? Like, you know, I was having this, a similar a conversation, actually, not a similar, but a conversation with my, my father-in-law the other day and we, we were just sort of talking about the, the strike. And I think when people think about actors striking, they think about like, you know, Matt Damon's, the Mark Wahlberg's, the Tom Cruise's, but this this isn't about those guys at all. This is about the actors that, you know, barely make minimum wage, um, you know, have to work just as many hours as everybody else. Like mm. it's not the big names, like and but it's great to see the big names out in support of this. And I think it's it's trying to sort of like you know, because when you think about obviously, you know, a uh, uh, a film tv production it's not just the actors there's there's writers there's directors there's catering there's props there's so many people involved with this and like it's it's not a, a cheap thing to make and we know that people like you know bob, I, bob Iger get paid like millions and millions of dollars and it's far out of context of what uh, a number of these people are earning oh it is it's crazy isn't it and uh i think i got in a, earlier again in the week i got a I get those BBC breaking news tweets. You know, I don't get many notifications, but I think if it's going to make the breaking news of the BBC, I always figure it must be massive. And the alert was telling me that Cillian Murphy and Emily Blunt had left the Oppenheim premiere um, as the actors launched that strike. And it was just the notion of them being at a premiere and and walking out. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the news desk could be quiet for a couple of weeks. And, you know, like you've talked about before, that knock-on effect as we go forward at some point we're going to reach a period where there's perhaps not that much stuff out there which is very exciting Dan because that's going to give us the chance to watch some of those movies that you haven't seen like like Apollo 13 uh like Sully uh there's there's some others which escape me right now I've got a list somewhere and we're gonna have to go back in time and check out some old stuff I think we're gonna have to because I think if you go back to 
when the last um, the last writer's strike was on, this is what was really kind of like a, a huge push in reality TV. And that, that's ultimately what we're going to see more of because reality TV isn't like it doesn't need the, it doesn't need the same level of kind of writing and support around it. So I think there are grim times ahead. I think this is going to impact a, a number of TV shows and movies that we're looking forward to seeing. A good example is... Um, Deadpool 3, which we talked about last week, that's yes. completely stopped production. Yeah. Uh, Stranger Things, the final season, that's been delayed to 2027. We're going to be like, and I think with a TV show like that, we, we've already had to wait such a long time for uh, for the latest season. And then when you think about these these young actors, young actors are, yeah. are, are adults now, You like Euphoria season three, um, that's those actors by the time that comes out that they're going to be in their 30s those actors like it's like yep. it's i think it, it has to happen because of the rights but it, it it's um hopefully these these studios kind of see the the impacts that this is having on the on the industry we have to have the de-aging technology that they use in indie uh, on this on the stranger stranger things kids to make them not look like they're 45 anymore indeed 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 but just on the sort of a, a slightly different topic. So there is a bit of news that there is some TV shows that are still in development. So, so for example, House of the Dragon season two is going to continue production despite the, the SAG strike. And the reason, you know, a show like that can continue is because one, it's been filmed in the UK and two, it's, it's a largely um, British or Euro- European cast and they don't mm. have the same requirements. Um, and so they're actually not uh, like, able to strike and support without sort of having their their position be compromised so that they could get fired as a result of so i think it will be interesting to see if any you know what this does in terms of like shifting production out of the states into europe other parts of the country other parts of the world um it will be interesting so there will be some things carrying on but i i still think it's going to be hard and i just wonder whether there there's other levers that can be pulled that will kind of slow these things down like because there's only going to be so much you know development special effects talents that can work on these types of things the rings of power i guess would be another series then that might be able to carry on indeed indeed anyway moving on the news desk so there's only a couple more things and it's more about some announcements of sort of either trailers coming out or or show dates so a little bit of news on bonjour it's daryl dixon that <laughs> looks like it's officially coming in september so at this rate, this is probably going to be in my top ten um, because <laughs> there'll be nothing else to watch. <laughs> there'll be nothing else. Um, so yeah, look out for that one in September. I don't know what when that will come to New Zealand, but um, yeah, tenth of September is the is the date for AMC in the states. They're pretty good in New Zealand uh, with The Walking Dead at getting it here, like the night of. That's one. That's one franchise which has normally been very good in this country. Yeah, it's interesting there because I think the one thing I would note though is we do tend to get The Walking Dead on so many different platforms. We sometimes get it on TVNZ, sometimes Prime Video, sometimes Neon, but sometimes AMC Plus as well. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we've also got a trailer for part two of season three of The Witcher. This is the the final three episodes of season three and our final outing with Henry Cavell. So I'm going to avoid that trailer myself as mm. three episodes doesn't feel like anything i need a trailer for so i'll be looking forward to that coming out at the end of the month and then a final bit of news for me the boys spin-off tv show um gen v which is basically a, a high school spin-off that is also coming out in september so a little bit of new content coming which is uh very exciting how about you paul any news on your end 
no um i think you've covered it all off then because yeah i i sort of went through my sources and it's it's coming up dry so i'll um i'll take us straight into the mailbag where i do have breaking news in the mailbag dan that's sir bray sorry sir bruce gray of scotland famous of course for his well time served in australia the bruce gray memorial being the first listener to ever write into us bruce is hoping to visit new zealand next year sometime and as a result he's promised to reciprocate the bad scottish accent that I put on when talking about Shetland a couple of weeks ago by doing his best worst New Zealand accent. And so that's exciting. I feel like if he's in the neighborhood, then I feel like we should get him in the studio for a cuppa. And you know, I don't invite many people in for a cuppa. I think we've got to do it. He'll be able to officially see the, the Bruce Gay Memorial, which in my mind, boy, I feel like it's like a, a statue maybe overlooking a cliff. It's, it's, it's mm. quite grand, but not many people know about it, I imagine. It's grand. It's a place of silent, silent, reflection mm, mm, mm. um what else have i got then bit quiet of this oh yeah so the, oh that's right the, your review of the witcher that was uh well received by a few listeners here in the capital then uh serena from wellington was very excited um she's been looking for uh, a review of the witcher she was very excited to hear a different opinion on season three and also sarah from wellington who says that she has been absolutely loving this third season so some some varying views there from from our listeners on The Witcher season three part one and on, that, on that ball yes on The Witcher I was um, at my barber a few days ago and he, he was we were just talking about what you know The Witcher and he was like oh season three is so good and I was like oh I'm, I'm gonna have to change barbers Paul I, I don't know I we were just on such different places about this show. Um, and saying that, he had just watched all three, all you know, the other two, well, all three seasons back to back, I guess. So it all probably felt much more current, which was kind of the recommended way, I think, to watch it. So, okay, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm not in sync with everyone, but uh, you, you can't have them all, I guess. Yeah, well, I was wondering, as I said at the top of the pod, if you and I would be in sync on things. Um, if you do change babbers, all you need to do, of course, is walk in uh, with a with a photograph of Tyler Rake and say this is the look and then just leave it and just let him go from there right maybe it's time to change maybe i need to go to 2000 tom cruise like i think that, that's really a <laughs> that's, that's a really look. a style that i want to embrace i oh yeah let's um look i was already thinking about once this podcast was finished i was thinking about going and set up a gofundme page to send you to the romanian countryside i'm now thinking that this gofundme page could also be like let's 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 get then to a 2000 Mission Impossible 2 Tom Cruise haircut. There's so many reasons this page could work. Maybe I need to stay in the Romanian countryside until I have a Tom Cruise level (laughs) haircut. That's even better. Like it's probably like, I would imagine like that's got to be probably two years of growth. Easy, I imagine. That'll pay for itself as well because if there's not much TV out there, we can make a reality TV show of you trying to survive out there in Romania and... Oh, look, this is writing itself. Let's move on to our peak performance from last week, Alan Arkin, um, which was put forward um, by uh, by Jacinta from the Wellington region here in New Zealand. And so I guess it makes sense to go with, with her picks first for Alan Arkin, uh, starting with Honourable Mention, uh, which she's gone with the Kaminsky method. Um, and she says it was just such a good, 
a good show and it got her through a lot of travel at that time. Love a good travel show. And peak performance for Jacinta was Little Miss Sunshine. Um, now, the only other uh, peak performance I had here was – did I have any others? I thought I had a third one, Dan. This is really bad. I'm normally quite organized, let's be honest. Normally, I thought I had a third one somewhere. Did I? Maybe I didn't. Okay. Oh, no, I did. So we had – oh, it was Sarah again. Sarah Sarah went with uh, Kaminsky Method um, alongside Michael Douglas. I knew I had another one in there somewhere. And then thirdly and finally, um, Paddy from Time Travelling Tink Podcast, a 3-2-1 of The Rocketeer. Uh, love the Coopers and peak performance was also – uh, Little Miss Sunshine. And just quickly then, speaking of Time Travelling Tink Podcast, uh, shout out to our producer, Trisha Brady, who is, of course, uh, Paddy's co-host and boss over at Time Travelling Tink. Um, I thank you to her for socialising our review of the of the fifth indie mo- uh, movie to the listeners over at Roddenberry in their Discord channel. I love the spreading of the good word of half measures. Remind me again, Dan, what was the title of the latest indie movie? Uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The Dial of Destiny, that's right, yes. Well, so Trisha's called me out on this on, <laughs> on Twitter publicly, so I'm, I'm going to have to address I'm going to have to address it. So what – say dial for me, Paul. Like what, what am I saying weird? I, I, I don't know. If, I think it, it's you're saying it in a very cute way, apparently. Uh, dial is how I would – Dial. I, I, I don't know how you're saying it. It's weird. This is this is, this is is hilarious because I'm constant because I listen to their podcast each week and the Irish, um, the Southern Republic Irish pronunciation of, of Dalek and Doctor, and I won't do them this, oh, the, yeah, the, the yeah. disservice of trying to say those words in their accent, is always for me hilarious. And, of course, the word Doctor and Dalek gets mentioned quite quite frequently on that podcast. I, I must admit, when I saw uh, Trisha's message, I, I was talking to Samara about it, and for about 10 minutes I was saying, Dial of Destiny, Dial. <laughs> like, what? A, and I, like, we had a good laugh about it, so That's good. I love that. Um, shall we go across to peak performance then? Let's do it. So each week, Paul and I take turns choosing different actors, actors, directors, and co, and choosing their peak performance. This week, Paul, we are looking at... Uh, Mr. Gene Reno, what have you got for me this week? Yeah, um, really, really good selection, Dan. This is someone who, when I look back through his movies, I was like, oh, yeah, he's in there. Oh, yeah, he's in that. And in the end, I had a really hard time choosing. I had too many things to choose from, which is great. So my honorable mention is as the character Vincent in 1998's Ronin, um, which is a movie that, I feel like it never seems to get talked about as much as it should. And even back in the day when it came out, I somehow felt like in a pre-internet world or ish, it kind of flew under the radar. Um, you know, he's in a supporting role in this movie um, alongside Robert De Niro, but it's just a great on-screen dynamic together and i just feel like he had all of the good one-liners in this film too so that in the end one eight for my uh, honorable mention but pete performance i actually went with his performance as captain fash in 2006's the da vinci code which is another i would say underrated movie in my book and this is one of those rare movies where i got caught up in the hype and and actually read the novel as opposed to most of the star wars books i read 
and so and then I, I got so into it, I actually went and bought the other three Dan Brown novels as well. But Jean Reno in this movie, I just thought he perfectly brought to the screen how I imagined that Fash would be. And, and I don't care that I'm not pronouncing the, the the name correctly in the French way because when, this is how I pronounced it when I read the book. And I just and what I found interesting was looking at is that when he wrote. Um, the novel Dan Brown based the description of Ash on Jean Reno. I just find that extraordinary. And I just thought, again, you know, opposite Tom Hanks and Ian McKellen, I just thought he was a standout. So yeah, Ronan and the Da Vinci Code for me. What about you? Those are good shouts, Paul. I also got caught up in the hype and read that book. But just to uh, just to trigger you a little bit, because it's... <laughs> it's, it's what you it's do. easy pickings. <laughs> I was working, I'm pretty sure I was working at a movie theatre when Ronan came out and I, like we used to get a free movie ticket every week and a couple of tickets and you could go and see whatever and I had this bad habit, I developed this bad habit of falling asleep in movies and I remember falling asleep in Ronan and so I've never actually seen it, I've seen like the first first 15 minutes. Right, to the list alongside Apollo 13 and Sally. Mm, indeed, indeed. Anyway, um, I think for me, for honourable mention, and I think this is probably a little bit of recency bias, is I'm actually going to go with uh, 1996 Mission Impossible mm. and calling out uh, Jean Reno's uh, role as, as Krieger. And I think, you know, spoilers, I I don't like how they did my boy in this movie, Paul. They did him dirty. I didn't like, like, I don't want him to be a villain. He would have been such a fantastic uh, asset through all of these movies. And I would have loved to see him and, and Luther sort of continue through, like, particularly when you think of, like, some of the support we had in him, in him too. So mm-hmm. I thought he, he did do a really good job in terms of both kind of, you know, being a been a, a supporting cast member and then sort of like becoming sort of a, a core villain as, as the movie progresses. But um, I would have loved to see him continue on. But my number one, my peak performance, a real favourite movie of mine, Leon the Professional. Mm. Uh, this, this came out in 94, 1994, um, and of course. And it, it also stars our, our very own uh, Natalie Portman, um, Padme, uh and so basically, you know, that this is, I think, uh, Jean Reno is like he's this is kind of like in the pre-John Wick era. He just plays this amazing hitman. It's like an incredibly kind of like dark sort of story. I you know, I was thinking when I kind of put this up, oh maybe I need to rewatch this movie, but then I also wonder whether maybe I shouldn't, because I think action movies like this are so refined these days this probably feels a little bit rough but i think i just i've seen this movie a lot i would probably say 10 to 15 times over my life like because i've i've just enjoyed its kind of quirkiness so much i love that he kind of takes on natalie portman's character as a a young 12 year old girl and kind of you know gets her out of a, a terrible situation and it, i don't know it's a, this movie's got it all for me and a, a lot of fond memories have you seen this one Yes, but I don't believe I've seen it since 1994. So it's one of those which is, you know, a vague memory in my mind. And I don't, I don't, in fact, I don't even remember the name, the professional being attached to. I only knew it as, as Leon or Leon. I never knew it as, as the professional, actually. I actually think it's had a few different iterations as it became more mainstream because I, I, I'm with you. I think well, I'm from the era where it was just uh, Leon. So, um, 
I think that's changed over time. But yeah, so that's it for me. Mission Impossible and uh, The Professional. Very good. So I guess, Paul, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Meshes podcast. It does indeed. As always, thank you so much for listening in to our weekly rant and raves about different things. Uh, do get in touch. We are still waiting for a third opinion of Fear the Walking Dead. And as Dan said, let us know your peak performance for Jean Renault. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting King, Diana Kanawa, Trisha Braley, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a Patreon, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios. <laughs>